Shalom. Good morning. You know, I, I, Joey, I, you mind if I sit at the piano for a minute? Is that, is that okay? Yeah, I just, I just feel better sitting at the piano. No. Um, but uh, okay. Now we worship in a minor key to get ready for heaven. Okay. So uh, this is a mission song, but it goes with the theme of telling, which is why I want to, want, I want to do it. So the, the song is Hevenu Shalom Alechem. Say it after me. Hevenu Shalom Alechem. You all speak Hebrew. Brilliant. It's great. So we bring peace to you. It's a traditional old, old Jewish folk song, but I love it because it, it, it encapsulates everything that God's called us to do, to bring the Prince of Peace to people who need peace all throughout the world, to all people, right? So I'm gonna have you learn how to sing this with me, and uh, you'll see. It, it, and, and just maybe this week, if you know a Jewish person, just start humming this psalm next to them, you know? <laughs> see where it gets you. Okay, so I'm... Isn't that a great Christian song? Don't tell the rabbi you said I said that, but you know. So this morning we're going to talk about reaching Jewish people for Jesus, the Jewish Messiah for all. And so uh, we're going to do that. But before we do that, if you don't mind, uh, we've asked, literally chosen people has asked thousands and thousands, actually over 100,000 churches this morning to stop, to remember, and to pray. And so this morning, I'm going to read a little bit of Psalm 122, and I want you to pray with me for the peace of Jerusalem. And that extends to a lot, all people really involved. And the reason we're doing it is because it's the 100th day since October 7th. And that was um, a day for me that is sort of like as a New Yorker, 9-11 on steroids, you know? And uh, so we remember particularly the hostages, and uh, we remember all those who are suffering because of the actions of those who um, acted very inhumanely, actually, 
And uh, we need, if people just knew Jesus, they wouldn't do things like that, you know? And so that's part of the whole picture because he is the Prince of Peace. And when we bring the message of peace, we want the Prince of Peace to reign on the throne of people's hearts, right? And when he does, life is transformed and everything is transformed. So let me read and then we'll pray. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord, our feet standing within your gates, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim that has been built as a city firmly joined together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord our God. But thrones were set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I'll now say, may peace be with you. Shalom. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And we seek the good of all those who are suffering right now. Join me in prayer, would you? Abba Father, we thank you for the message of the psalmist. We thank you most of all that King David, who you anointed with your with your words, speaks about a person because peace is not just an experience. Peace is a person. He is our peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And Lord, we beg of you this morning that you would bring peace to the Middle East, bring peace to Jerusalem, to all those who live in Israel and in Gaza and in the West Bank and and, uh, and Lord, throughout the whole community in southern Lebanon, Lord, we pray that no Jewish or Arab mother will lose a child today. We pray, Lord, that there might be peace, but that only comes through your Prince of Peace. And we pray that faithful believers on all sides of the, of the conflict will rise up and proclaim the good news that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Prince of Peace, that many might come to faith in him and find peace, not just in this life, but forever. We ask these things in Yeshua, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for praying with me. I really appreciate it. You can tell it's on my heart, you know. Now, I'm really excited about being here. I'll tell you why. It's not just seeing my brother Frank sitting there smiling. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited because uh, my first child was born on 21st in Ortega. And not only was she born on 21st in Ortega, I actually was born again in San Francisco in November 1970. Don't do the math. And Sahava, my wife, wave, honey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, she needs, she really deserves it, let me tell you. So uh, Sahava and I lived here for quite a few years. I lived here before I was saved, and then uh, we lived a little, we, we lived here staggeredly for 10 or 12 years. And, um, and so, San Francisco means a lot to me. I've known about this church for years and years, and I've never been here, so I, I invited myself. 
why wait? And, uh, and so this morning I'd like to talk to you about uh, Jewish evangelism. Needless to say, uh, there are a lot of Jewish people in San Francisco. In fact, the Bay Area is one of the largest Jewish communities in the United States. So there's just under 400,000 Jewish people in the Bay Area, and that would take into account the East Bay, South Bay, Marin, and San Francisco. San Francisco is still the hub. And so some of the key synagogues, key Jewish leaders are all right here in the city. And you are in the city. And so my hope today is that you might think about how God can use you in reaching Jewish people for Jesus. And so we're going to open up to Romans chapter 9, and then we're going to look also at chapters 10 and 11. But the message goes beyond Jewish evangelism. The message actually goes to all of you who have in your family and friends what I call long-term holdouts. You might be a long-term holdout visiting this morning. And, and I hope that the message will encourage you. Paul had a lot of long-term holdouts. Uh, let's start with his probably his mother and father. We don't have any record of their coming to faith. And so there are a lot of long-term holdouts. Uh, you've prayed for them. You've witnessed to them. You've done everything you can. You've left tracks in areas that nobody would leave tracks, but you did. You've, uh, you've invited them to programs and still no activity. And sometimes we tend to give up, don't we? Um, Jewish people are particularly uh, challenging uh, because we are raised to actually be uh, anti-Christian. We're not anti-Christian in terms of an anti-Christian when it comes to an individual. We're anti-Christian to the idea of us becoming Christians. <laughs> Why? Because there's been a pretty lousy history between Jews and Christians, and you're aware of it. Now, uh, was it real Christians who did all these nasty things, were anti-Semitic and, and, uh, and all that? Uh, no, no, we know, we know that's not true. Uh, but Jewish people can't tell the difference. And so Christianity is stigmatized by those who sometimes used religion to persecute other people. And they use religion as a weapon. And so Jewish people are tainted. And yet Jewish people, once we get over the hump that Jesus is not against us, that Christianity is not against us, in fact, Christianity is pretty Jewish. When we, when we, get, when we discover these things, then we, then we come to faith. Many come to faith. I did. My wife did. And so in Romans chapter 9, Paul leads us through a process of figuring out how to deal with people who are resistant to the gospel, who by all reasonableness, they should be open to the gospel. Why not? I mean, your long-term holdouts know you. And they've seen God's grace. They, 
They, they understand it. My own family did. But still, they didn't come to faith for a while. So let me read what Paul says. And there are really three keys to dealing with those who have not come to faith that you've been witnessing to for five years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Anybody here have long-term holdouts or am I the only one? Okay, yeah, everybody, good. So I'm reading from chapter nine, verse one. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Look at the words carefully. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief. You've got the ESV up there. I've got the NESB here. And it was written in Greek, so don't worry about it. So I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my countrymen, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So I just kind of imagine uh, the Apostle Paul after a very successful evangelistic meeting uh, in somewhere in Asia Minor, uh, sitting down on his, his uh, mat or, or bed that he probably made himself in the tent that he made himself, and he's sitting on the edge of his bed, maybe a lantern, lantern is on, and he's thinking about all the people that, all the Gentiles that came to the Lord because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And then his heart begins to sink a little bit because he says, wow, so many Gentiles have come to faith in Jesus, but my own family is not. And so I think that leads to Paul's confession of his love and burden for his own people. And so when I look at this, I understand that it's very important that we resist the temptation to give up. And we resist the temptation to lose fervor, to lose enthusiasm. And I learned this from my own mother. I don't know if she intended to teach me this, but she did. So when I became a believer, I probably started off on a wrong foot with my, my family. My mom was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home in uh, the Holy Land, Brooklyn, New York, where, I, where Zahav and I live. And her parents had come over from Russia to escape the Christians. That's what they thought. Those were Orthodox Christians who were persecuting Jews back in Russia and Ukraine and so on. And so my, my grandparents came uh, and they, they fled because they didn't want to be with, I don't know what they thought they were going to find in America, you know? And so they, they came to America. And so my mom was raised very traditionally and raised me very traditionally. And, but as the years went by, we got looser and looser and looser. So though I was Orthodox, I was nominal. All I knew about Judaism was Orthodox. There's con Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox. So it's, it's the most religious. Did I believe it? Absolutely not. Could I read Hebrew? Fluently. Did I understand what I was reading? Absolutely not. But I read it. And so uh, I was raised with all the prejudices my grandparents came over from Belarus to Brooklyn with, 
that Christians were against us. My mom would never even think of, in fact, my parents never had non-Jewish friends. And so we, they lived in a New York Jewish bubble. And so that's how I grew up. And so when I became a believer in Jesus, imagine, this is 1970, okay? It's not that popular yet. <laughs> so imagine my trying to explain this to my parents. Now I became a believer in a rather, you know, I think everybody's testimony is a miraculous testimony. It's just some are more miraculous than others. And so my two best friends became believers in Jesus. So I was part of the Jewish wing of the Jesus movement in San Francisco, okay? And yes, I was a hippie. I, you know, just imagine long hair, no suit, you know, and, and so on. I would grow it back, honestly, if I could. But. And so, so my, my, uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, a girl, she got saved. She was picked up hitchhiking on Highway 101 going, going to Oregon. She didn't even know how to spell Oregon probably, but she, she was headed up to some kind of festival and got picked up hitchhiking by two brand new on fire ex-biker Gentile Christians. And she got in the car and they said, where are you going? She said, to Oregon, to this place. She said, and they said, oh, we're going to Oregon too, so we'll take you. And by the time she got her second foot into the car, and remember no seatbelts then, and just sat down, uh, the woman turned around and said, so honey, are you saved? Now, you have to understand, Jews don't know the lingo. So my friend Joe said, from what? You know, do you believe in Jesus? She said, oh, no, 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 I'm Jewish. Now, that's supposed to stop the conversation, okay? But these folks, they were such new Christians, they didn't know that. So they just plowed on. And so for the next six, seven hours, they began sharing the gospel with Joan, and they only had like 20 minutes of information over and over and over again. And my poor friend accepted the Lord. I think she just needed to get them off her, her back, you know? And then moved in with, into, of course, a Christian commune with them in, in Oregon, Coos Bay, Southern Oregon. And then she came back out to San Francisco, and, and it's a long story, but I, I, we had built a houseboat in Gate 5 in Sausalito, then we ripped down the houseboat, we moved to Balboa Street off the park, and I shared a three-bedroom apartment with 17 other hippies, you know? The rent was good. And so she came to our, she first looked for us for the houseboat, that was gone. It was a miracle I happened to be there visiting that day, no, you know, it was a real miracle. It was unbelievable. And uh, I brought her back, and, and uh, she shared the gospel with us. She may as well have said that she was an alien from Mars, and she had a, a, a message for, you know, about world peace, you know. And so I listened to her. I yelled at her. I said, you're no longer Jewish, like I had the authority. And she says, but I am Jewish. And my friend, he listened to her. He said, yeah, this is you know, pretty good. And so they went back up to Oregon together. He got saved, she got saved. They began writing me letters. Now that's, you can go see letters in a museum. Uh, they write, with, it's with a pen or pencil. 
and, and so they began writing me letters and telling me about what Jesus had done for them. And so I went up there to save them. And guess who got saved? So that's the long, the, the short story. So then I'm meeting some other believers and I have a dream. We, I visited Simpson College, which was still here at that time. And I walked around there and God began speaking to me. I was only, you know, like three weeks in the Lord. And so I didn't exactly know how to discern God's voice. And, but I, I, I knew that it wasn't me because I had already dropped out of college. And so this voice was telling me to go back to college and go to a Bible college. And I didn't even know what a Bible college was. And so I asked a, a more mature Jewish believing friend and I got into Bible college in New Jersey, and I said, great, because my parents are now living in New Jersey. I can go back. I can go to Bible college. My parents will get saved, and then we'll all be one happy family, and it'll be wonderful. So I got into the Bible college, went back to New Jersey, knocked on the front door of my, my parents' home. I didn't have the guts to call them because I was afraid they would ask me what I was going to do. And so my mom comes out and says, come sit down, we've got, you know, you look skinny, let's eat, you know, and Jewish mother. And, and she said, so how long are you going to be here for? I said, well, maybe four years. <laughs> I dropped out my freshman year. And, and so she said, oh, great, where are you going to go to school? And by this time, my father's down. And I said, uh, Northeastern College. She said, what, what was that? I said, Northeastern <clears throat> Bible College. So what's a Bible college? I said, Ma, that's where you can study the Bible. She said, they give a degree in that? I said, I think so. I don't know for sure. And she said, so what are you going to do? Are you going to be a rabbi? I said, not exactly, probably. And uh, so she said, well, what's going on then? I said, now, it was that awkward moment, you know, because I couldn't skirt the issue anymore. And so I used all of my Jesus freak training at that moment. And I looked at my mother and I looked at my father and I smiled and I said, you're both going to hell. <laughs> but you don't need to go to hell if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, at which point I thought they both would. They didn't. And so I think I got this whole thing off on the wrong foot. And so it took decades to make up for my, uh, my false start. And so over the years, I had a great burden for my own parents, for my sisters, for all of my relatives. I had big Jewish family. Nobody was a believer. Some people were religious. Most were not. And, uh, and so when I read the words of Paul, boy, it encouraged me, it encouraged me that he had great sorrow and unceasing grief in his heart. He wished that he would become, the Greek word is anathema, cut off from Christ for the sake of the people that he loved for his family. And, you know, I was, I was quite willing. And uh, I don't know if, if you have that kind of a burden or that kind of a passion. Now, don't feel too guilty. Jewish people are very good at guilt, so don't feel too guilty, okay? You don't have, this was, this was just a rhetorical device that Paul is using. He knew 
that he couldn't be cut off from Christ for the sake of anybody else. Well, that's because somebody was already cut off for the sake of everybody else. So he knew that, okay? So all we can do is emulate or see Jesus as our, our model, that he was willing to lay down his life because he loved his people. And so that's, that was what I learned from this. And I, I learned from God to, that I should have a passion and a burden for my own people. But you know, after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, of my mother saying, I told you not to talk to me about this. And uh, I, I, I always assumed she would forget she told me. And I did leave tracks in her bathroom. I did. And, and so I really had a burden for her. And I didn't see any hope. And you know, you feel so helpless and hopeless because the most important thing in your life is, is Jesus. And the most important, second most important thing in your life is having others believe in Jesus, especially your own family. And you don't feel like you can make that happen because it's a work of God. You can't make it happen, by the way. You can only participate. You can't make it happen. And so uh, I kept praying for my mother and nothing happened. And then, of course, she got cancer. And when someone gets cancer, it's fourth stage colon cancer. So when somebody gets cancer like that, then all of a sudden you realize the urgency of the matter. But honestly, I had given up hope, just given up hope. And so I began asking God to save my mother. And still nothing was happening. But you know, when you have a passion, when you have a burden, when you don't allow circumstances and the devil is very happy to participate in this too, to beat the burden out of you. Then if you continue to ask God to give you that burden, he doesn't, he really does. And it might be a negative circumstance in the, love, in your, in the life of your loved one, but he does do it. And so I learned that, chapter 10, I learned that a burden, a real burden, leads to prayer. And you know, prayer is an amazing thing when it comes to evangelism. So let me just read it. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, verse one, and my prayer to God for them is for this salvation. For I testify that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, the Greek word epinosis, which means full and complete knowledge. If they had complete knowledge, they believe in Jesus, but they have partial knowledge, so they don't, but not in accordance with knowledge. And so what happens when you pray for those who are not coming around as well as you would like? And my mother was not. She was dying and she wasn't open. And it broke my heart continually, continuously. And actually the first thing that happened was others began praying, not just for my mother, but they prayed for me that I would have the faith to believe that my mother would come to faith. And that's the value of having a spiritual community, brothers and sisters. It's when you go through times like that, that we desperately need one another. And we need to be one another's intercessors, priests, 
And so, I don't know, I had a little bit of a surge of faith, maybe. But I began looking at my mother's salvation from God's point of view. Because sometimes you feel like it's all on you, but when you realize it's, it's all on God, it changes the whole dynamic. And so, as I prayed, and as my heart turned to the Lord, and others prayed for me, I began realizing that my mother's salvation was really, truly in God's hands, and that it, it, it would never be too late until her last breath. And so, one day I, I heard from my sisters while my mom was deep into chemotherapy. They told me, mom got a very interesting home health care worker. And I said, yeah. And they described her to me. And I said, wow. I mean, with all of the ways they described her, she was a servant, she was so helpful, she was so dedicated. And I mean, home health care workers can be very, very wonderful. But, you know, they still get paid hourly, you know, for the most part. And it's a job. And, but this was, this person sounded incredible. And I began thinking, I wonder, I, I just wonder, maybe she's a believer. And so I went to visit my, my mom and our, we're walking in the front door uh, and, uh, and we meet this woman, Dominic, Dominique. And both Sahab and I looked at each other. We looked at Dominique and you know how some Christians like, you know, radiate? So this woman glowed, and, uh, and I just looked at her, and, and I, I broke the professional boundary, you know? And I looked at her, and I said, Dominique, is there any way you are? And she says, of course I am. I said, really? She says, I am a born-again, on-fire Haitian Baptist. I said, really? I said, but you, you did, I, did I have something to do with getting here? She says, no, 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 God put me here. I said, oh, boy. You know, she said, and then she said, this is not my job, it's my ministry. Now, I know people talk about answered prayers, and we encourage one another to pray, but brothers and sisters, it really works. And evangelism with prayer becomes far more powerful because you realize it's all up to God, and God could then do some things that you wouldn't even be aware of because you're not looking at it through eyes of faith. And so this woman was really serving my mom, and I said to her, I said, uh, so do you ever witness to my mother? She said, yeah, my own way. I said, really? She says, yeah, I pray for her all the time. I said, wow. She says, yeah, and I saw the tracks you left in the bathroom. I said, did she read it? She says, I don't And so God began working in her life. And uh, if we can skip now to chapter 11, third, never lose your burden, pray, and then never lose hope. Never lose hope. Hope is powerful. Hope is very powerful in evangelism. Because hope really is the fruit of, of prayer and of faith. And so uh, let me just read chapter 11, verse 1. 
I say that God has rejected his people as he far from it. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then Paul talks like a good rabbi about Elijah's duel with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and then draws a principle from the Old Testament narrative, which was good preaching. And Paul says in verse 5, in the same way, there's come at the present time to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. In Jewish evangelism, we understand that God always has a remnant. In every day, at every age, God promised that there would be a remnant according to his gracious choice. And, but the principle goes for Gentiles too. You never know who's part of it. You never know. And so you continue to have hope. And so my mom got much sicker and uh, lasted longer than we thought, but she got sicker and sicker. And then we did that, uh, that vigil that some of you have done or will do or have it done with you. That vigil where you sit on plastic chairs and try and sleep while you're looking at your loved one who might be suffering. And so we, my youngest sister and I were sitting there in the, and watching my mom labored breathing and all that. She hadn't really talked uh, for a while. She jumped up in the middle of the night. And she said, oh God, help me. And I want to tell you that that room was filled with the presence of God, just filled with the presence of God. And my sister felt it too. She's not, still not a believer. And so she looked at me immediately and said, this one's yours, brother. <laughs> and I said, Mom, God wants to help you. But you know, if I wasn't praying and I wasn't hoping, I, I don't think I would have behaved the same way. I would have been jaded and cynical because I was praying and witnessing to my mom for over 40 years and nothing happened. But because God was working in my heart, maybe because people prayed for me and I began praying and then I began hoping, I started expecting God to do something. So when my mom jumped up like that, I said, well, mom, God can give you comfort if you turn to him and you know how to do that. And I read her Psalm 23 and prayed with her in Jesus' name and with she was so agitated, laid back down in complete peace and rested. The next day we were in the room with her and Zahava was there, my sisters were there, and Dominique was there. And I saw my mom talk, well, she wasn't talking, but sort of relating to Zahaba and Dominique. And I was with my sisters, just a little tip on evangelism, because we're talking about telling, right? The little tip on evangelism, you have to be smart, okay? So when you're in a hospital room with not yet believing family and a not yet believing person, what you've got to do is come with two people. So one person talks to the person who's ill and the other two, other person talks, diverts the relatives, okay? Trust me, you'll need it. You'll need that tip, okay? And so 
I was diverting the relatives, <laughs> my sisters, and Zahav and Dominique were talking to my mom, and I saw them holding her hand, and, and I said, what happened? My wife said, I asked, uh, I asked mom if she believed in God, and she squeezed my hand and smiled. Hmm? And said yes. You want to... I, that was the second question. And then the second question, Sahaba asked, did you believe in Jesus? Now, I didn't say to her, what did she say? I said, why did you do that? Because I would rather have doubt than certainty going that route. And Sahaba said, she squeezed my hand, she smiled, and she said yes. I couldn't believe it. Now, do I really think my mom's going to be in heaven? When I was younger, I didn't believe in deathbed conversions. The older I get, the more I believe in them. If there's ever a time someone needs Jesus, it's when they're dying. And so my mom, I do believe, came to faith. Now, and I believe that's a message she wants, that God wants me to share with others and with you. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. You have long-term holdouts. That's okay. You're frustrated. You wish you knew what to say. You have to ask God to continue to give you a burden. And then you need to pray and begin, begin seeing your loved one's salvation as being held in the mighty hands of God, not in your hands. You got to give them over to the Lord. And then continue to hope because truly they still have an opportunity to come to faith till the very last breath. So never give up. Okay? Now, some of you have Jewish friends, and oh my gosh, we are difficult at times, you know. And, uh, and I apologize for the whole 15 million Jewish people in the world, you know. But, but we do come to faith. We do. And I want to give you one more verse, if I could. This is a surprise verse. And it's part of the sermon, but you don't have to pay anything extra for it. So, so this is Romans 11, verse 11. I say then, they didn't stumble to, so as to fall, did they? So the Jewish people didn't stumble to fall. It's a Greek word that means permanent fall, like a turtle on its back. So they didn't stumble so as to fall. Far from it, but by their transgression or wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Whoa, get that. Isn't it nice in a Jewish book, Gentiles get apart, you know? So how many Gentiles do we have here this morning? Raise your hands if you're not Jewish. Okay, there you go. I didn't call you a pagan. So, so salvation has come to the Gentiles. Listen, you had nothing to do with your being a Gentile. I had nothing to do with my being a Jew, so don't worry about it. So salvation has come to the Gentiles, but then Paul adds a purpose clause in the Greek, and he says, to make them jealous, or in order to make them jealous. Wow, that means 
that you are free and empowered and called by God to tell Jewish people in San Francisco and outside of San Francisco that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that great? God wants to use you. And when God calls some group of people out and says, I'm going to do something through them, you know, he needs it. So can God make Jewish people jealous through you? Well, he said, he said, you should. So of course he can. I wouldn't be here without that brand new born again, ex-biker, Jesus freak couple that led my Jewish friend to the Lord who then led me to the Lord. I wouldn't be telling you a story about my mom's salvation if it wasn't for Dominique. God can use you to make Jewish people jealous of the Jewish Messiah who lives in your heart. Just make yourself available to him. And if you have long-term holdouts, don't give up. Trust the Lord. Fan the flames of your burden. Pray and never lose hope. Now, take out your brochure. This is called the brochure of the tearing of the card, the uh, tradition of the tearing of the card. Take out your brochure, fold it along the perforation. Did some of you not get one? Raise your hand. Okay. Are there ushers in the house? Oh, no, there's an assistant pastor. Okay. All right, don't, don't rip them yet, please, please, please. Listen, I'm Jewish. We have our traditions. Okay? Very important to us. So fold it along the perforation at the count of three in Hebrew. Count after me. We're then going to rip together to demonstrate our unity in Christ. Okay? So here we go. After me. Echad. Shtayim. Shalosh. Rip. All right, some of you are a little overly meticulous, okay? You know? All right, so keep this part to pray for us. Take this one, and I want you to fill it out. And you can either fill it out with your email, or you can fill it out with your name and address and information. And there are some boxes in the back. I know it's not a great time to push a tour of it in Israel, but I know, and some of you are waiting for your free Jesus ticket to get there. Uh, but we have lots of stuff going on in Israel, lots of opportunities to volunteer, chosen peoples hoping to begin a work in San Francisco, probably sometime in the next 12 months. And if you'd like to help and volunteer, you can indicate that here. And I will not take them away from anything they're doing at church. Maybe. Anyway, so just fill that out if you would. And here's what you get. You get the chosen people newsletter, prayer letter. I think that you'll love the material. And every month we send out a newsletter. It's like having twins, you know? So we work very hard at it. So I think you'll get a lot out of it. So, but take this and turn it in. And if you do that, I will send you a free book that I actually wrote. It's called Isaiah 53 Explained. Don't tell anybody I wrote Isaiah 53, okay? So it's Isaiah 53 Explained. I explained it, okay? And so we will send you this book for free, or we will, if you're emailing to us, we'll 
show you how to download it, okay, if you want. But, but there's a catch to this, not just that you get our newsletter. The big catch is you get the book, you read it, you understand it, and you give it away to a Jewish person. <laughs> okay, so please see us at the book tables. Zahav and I will be sitting there drinking coffee, waiting to talk to you. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your loving kindness. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters at Sunset Church. I pray, Lord, that you would use them in the lives of whoever it is in their family or among their friends who they love so much, so deeply, and that they want more than anything in the world for them to come to know you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and their lives, and Lord, that you would bring their loved ones to yourself. And Lord, we pray for the Jewish community in San Francisco. We pray, Lord, that we, you would use my brothers and sisters at Sunset Church to make their Jewish friends, workmates, fellow students, neighbors. We pray, Lord, that you would use them to make Jewish people jealous because you live in their hearts. We ask all of this in the great name of Jesus.